Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity you've given us, Lord, to open the truth of your word. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us now to worship and praise you through song, Lord. I pray our hearts have been prepared now to receive your word. I pray you would speak very clearly to us, Father. I pray that we would just set aside distractions and all the things of the world, uh, Lord, and we would hear from you. You would challenge us, convict us, transform us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, open to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, as you're finding that, let me just uh, reiterate or remind you again of what Philip said in our uh, video earlier in the service, the ad video, September the 13th, that's next Sunday, all small groups are going to open back up. So that's preschool, children, students, all the way through our adults, and we're changing our service times to match that, right? So we'll do a 930 worship service and 930 Sunday school at the same time and 11 o'clock worship service like we're doing now, and 11 o'clock Sunday school. And so you can find your Sunday school hour and fit in wherever you want to there. Uh, Go back, hopefully, to as normal as possible. Uh, You be in prayer that God just allows us to do that and and we can stay safe. We've got some uh, good procedures in place. We've talked a lot as a team about what that's going to look like, uh, how to make that work with all the different people coming back in the building. And so you be in prayer that that goes smoothly. We've got a great team of people that are going to be working kind of behind the scenes to make that happen. But we want to encourage you to be part of that. If you're at home watching, we'd love to have you back. Uh, Next Sunday would be a great opportunity for you to maybe reinsert yourself. If you're still not comfortable, we're going to continue to simulcast. We're going to show this live uh, really from here on out probably. Uh, We've kind of committed to that and and have a large following online. So glad you're at home watching. If you're in the fellowship hall, thank you for being willing uh, to sit in the overflow service. So we've got more space in here. There's a lot of people... Last week, that room was filled with people. Uh, so there are a lot of people that are in there right now that have given up their seats so you can have one in here. So we're very thankful for them, very uh, happy they're in there, and we're glad you're here as well. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Isn't it good to worship and sing and, and lift our voices and study the Word of God together? And this morning, we're continuing our sermon series we've entitled The Sword of Truth. And I've talked about this for the last couple of weeks, but I just feel like it's such a big deal. I need to keep just kind of starting each sermon with this idea, reminding you and, and kind of challenging you uh, through this pandemic. I've just kind of become a little more concerned uh, as I've watched and, and kind of seen the progress and how it's changed everything we've been doing and, of course, changed the way we've done church. But I've just become more and more concerned that people rely very heavily on me as your pastor or maybe your Sunday school teacher or leader to kind of teach you or to help you study God's word. Now, again, what we do in here on Sunday morning is important, and we're going to continue to do it. It's a biblical mandate. Uh, We're going to continue to meet together, continue to worship together. We're starting our small groups back next week, so we're obviously committed to that model as well. But I'm just concerned that if something were to happen again in the future, right, 
another pandemic or something much worse and, and we weren't able to come here Maybe we weren't even able to get online and watch for whatever reason, and you were kind of on your own. How would you be able to lead your family? How would you be able maybe even to lead your, your little community where you live in Bible study, in teaching? And if it kind of push came to shove and you had to do it, could you lead a worship service in your home every Sunday morning? Is that even possible? Like for a lot of people, that's a scary thing to think about. Like, how would I even start? What does that look like? Are we going to sing? Is somebody going to preach? How do we do this? And so I've just kind of been convinced over the last many weeks that I need to do a better job of equipping you and preparing you so that you're able, if something else were to happen in the future, to kind of step up and continue what's happening now on a much smaller level in your home. Now, for those of you that think, oh, this will never happen again, there's no way... We're ever going to have to worry about this again. This was a one-off, and it'll never take place in the future. Just a couple of current events, just to kind of rein your thinking back in and remind you of the world we're living in. I'm going to read a couple of articles and then remind you of something that's happening in our country now. This is the Wall Street Journal, June of this year, just a few years ago. Just to be clear, I'm not reading from George Orwell's 1984 here. I'm not reading a novel. This is the Wall Street Journal, June of 2020, a few months ago. Quote, with the world distracted by the COVID-19 pandemic, the Chinese Communist Party has restarted its long-running campaign against Christianity. Provincial authorities have banned, banned online religious services. Can't even tune in anymore online. Provincial, excuse me, officials in the Anhu province reportedly removed crosses from two churches in April, adding to a tally of defaced churches that stretches into the thousands. Believers in China already are under more pressure than at any time since the Cultural Revolution. Now watch, and a new phase is beginning. Beijing no longer simply wants to repress religion, but transform it. The centerpiece of this campaign is a new undertaking to rewrite the Holy Scriptures. China's state-run news agency said last year that Politburo Standing Committee member Wang Yong has provided, excuse me, presided over a meeting of so-called scholars and religious people from the grassroots level to to discuss making accurate and authoritative interpretations of classical doctrines to keep pace with the times. Now, translation, they're rewriting the Bible. Right, so they're taking the Holy Scripture and they're changing words. An article from the New York Post, same year, a little bit earlier, 2020, talks about the churches where the crosses have been torn down. They've taken down pictures of religious symbols and replaced it with Chinese officials. The Ten Commandments, this is the article, the Ten Commandments painted over with quotes from President Xi. That's the president of China. In other words, without the permission of the authorities, you can't organize a Bible study. And if you do get permission, you'd better hold it in a party-approved religious venue at a party-approved time with a party-approved leader using the new party-approved Bible, which contains quotes from Confucius and, of course, President Xi. Now, I know what you're thinking, man. This is China. 
we get it, we've heard this before. Uh, things over there are not like they are here. It seems a million miles away from us. Why do we need to worry about it? Listen, if you're not opening your eyes and noticing what's happening in this country right now, go read about what's happening to churches in California, right? Not China. Now, now this, this sermon is not a, a, a sermon in, intended to scare you. It's not a sermon about persecution. It just reminds us that our ability to worship freely may not always be guaranteed. And if we're not prepared, if we're not equipped, if that ever happens, I'm fearful of what may happen to the local church. And so in that vein, kind of in that idea, I've just been praying and thinking about how I can better equip you. And so it led me to this model, the sword method. I've been teaching it for the last several weeks. And so if you're new with us this morning or you're tuning in for the first time, so glad you're with us. I'm going to go back over this, but let me kind of give you the summary of what this looks like. The sword method is a very simple model that you can use, okay? You don't need any sort of advanced degree. You don't need a lot of study. It's a real simple model that you can take and you can apply it to any scripture. You can apply it to one verse or five verses or an entire chapter. And it's a simple model of six questions that you work through. And as you answer those questions and you discuss those questions, it just opens up the truth of scripture, gives you more insight and allows you to conduct a Bible study or, or honestly even preach a sermon if necessary with a real simple model that I want you to see. Now we're basing it on the sword, right? And this is, I've said this is the coolest part of every week. You, you'd be amazed at how many men in our church want to touch this sword. Well, guys, if you want to, you can come down. I'll let you hold it. I'll tell you one thing. I've, I've gained some real respect for the guys that really used to fight with these things because this bad boy is heavy, right? I mean, if I had to really wield this thing in a battle, it wouldn't go very well because it, it's pretty heavy to swing. It's a, it's a powerful sword, and it's a neat visual reminder for this model, okay? We call it the sword model because the, the Bible says that it's like a sword. The Bible's a sword, like a sharper than a two-edged blade, like cutting and dividing, and so we use the sword as a model. So if I hold it kind of in a ready position here, there's four main questions and then a couple at the end we're going to think about. The first question, I think about the sword point straight up. Pull that first question up for me if you would, please. The first question we're going to ask in this model, number one, is what can I learn about God? So if I were to take this model and apply it to Scripture, right, I'd read a Scripture or two or four or an entire chapter. And as I read through those verses, I very simply ask the question, what can I learn in these verses about God? That's the first question. Question number two, as I hold the sword, what can I learn about man, right? Question number three, what can I learn about sin? Question number four, what can I learn about obedience? So four simple questions. What can I learn about God, man, sin, and obedience? I can apply those questions to any passage of Scripture. And when I apply those questions to any passage of Scripture, you're going to see it generates, uh, first of all, a lot of truth that we're going to see this morning, but it also generates a lot of discussion, right? You can use this with your family. You can use this at work, wherever the Lord leads you. And then question number five, what's the main idea of this passage? Question number six, how do I apply this to my life? Now, the way I use question six, and I've been doing it in my sermon series the last couple of weeks, is I'm going to talk about application as we go, Right? I'm not going to do everything and then at the very end get to application. So I'm really going to take that last question and filter it through the other ones as we go. 
This is a very simple, reproducible model, right? If you memorized these six questions or wrote them on the inside of your Bible, you could take this model, you could just literally roll up to any place on the earth, home, work, Africa, wherever, open your Bible to any passage of scripture, read through it, and then work through these questions, and you've got a perfect Bible study, okay? It's a very simple, reproducible, very powerful model. And I'll encourage you, and I've been encouraging the last several weeks, take this home, use it with your family. Parents, use it with your children, use it with each other. You can try it at work. I've been kind of amazed and real pleased and really challenged in our home as we've asked these questions throughout the course of the week. The discussion it generates, the questions that my kids have. It's very interesting to me how you can really go into this without a whole lot of prep work and if you want to, an hour later, you can still be discussing these questions, right? So the challenge is for you to kind of take this model, begin to think about it, understand it, apply it, use it in your home as a great practice in other places so you're prepared and more equipped to be able to lead in the future if necessary. Now, I've given you homework each week. Last week was Galatians 5. So we've got that on the screen for you. Go ahead and pull Galatians 5 up beginning in verse 16. I'm going to read through these verses, and then we're going to walk through these questions together, demonstrating to you how easy this can be, okay? Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. This is Paul speaking. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Verse 21, envy drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, here's a contrast here, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, there's a lot of ways I could have divided this text, right? And when I look at this, there's a lot of ways I could have preached this. There's there's a lot of ideas. There's a lot of ways we could have divided this. But I want to kind of stick to this model because I want you to see that it's really pretty simple to use. You don't have to spend a lot of time in study. You don't have to have an advanced degree. You don't have to do a a ton of reading to work through these questions and to understand them and to generate some discussion. So the first question we're going to ask, put it on the screen if you would, what I learn about God. Now I want you to understand, I I talked a little bit about this last week, but but we need to be kind of clear about this. When you use this model you're going to realize pretty quickly that some passages of Scripture are more uh, suited to one question versus the other. Here's what I mean by that. Last week, the passage of Scripture we studied was very heavy about God. 
We spent a lot of time thinking about God and, and who he is and all he's done. And, and that was the bulk of what I preached was right out of question one because that's what the text was about. This particular week is a lot less about God and a lot more about sin and obedience. And that's okay. As you use this model more and more, you're going to see sometimes you spend a lot of time in one question and very little in other questions, but that's okay. You work through the process, you answer the questions, and you see how the Lord leads. And so in this first question, what do we learn about God? There's not nearly as much in this passage of Scripture as there was last week, and that's okay. Just kind of a quick reminder as we talk about the Spirit, we would affirm that God is three persons, right? The Trinity, Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God the Father. So we talk about the Trinity being three distinct persons, but all fully God. That's the Trinity. If you say, I don't, I don't know if I can quite wrap my, my mind around that, that's okay. It's difficult to wrap our minds around fully. I'm happy to talk with you more about that if you want to understand. But this particular passage talks a lot about the Spirit in verse 16. And so as we think about the Spirit, we're thinking about God. So what can we learn about God or about the Holy Spirit in this passage of Scripture. Now, I want you to notice these three things that I'm showing you come right out of this text. This isn't me spending hours of study in commentaries. This isn't me pulling up old notes from seminary. This isn't me watching dozens of sermons on this particular verse. This is me very simply reading the verses and answering this question about God. Now, I'll say to you, like I said last week, this is not an exhaustive list, and you may look at it and say, man, there's four or five other things about God in here. Fantastic. That's okay. What you see in it and how the Lord speaks to you is different than how he speaks to me, but that's the beauty of this model. Right? As you answer these questions, the Lord's going to lead you and the Spirit's going to guide you. So here are three kind of simple things we can learn about God in this verse. The first one I wrote down is we should walk by the Spirit, which, which basically means the Spirit can lead us. So what can I learn about God? I can learn that the Lord through the Holy Spirit can lead me. That's verse 16. That's a big deal, by the way. You could spend a whole sermon on the Holy Spirit leading us. Or if the Lord prompted you in your home or in your place of business, you could take that one idea and really discuss it with your group. Like, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? How are we led by the Spirit? What are things we can do that demonstrate we're being led by the Spirit? Here's another thing you can see. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, right? They're opposed to each other. So what do I learn about God? I learned that the things God wants me to do are very much opposed to the things of the flesh that I want to do. And we're going to touch on that a little more as we get more into this text. Here's another thing to learn. The Spirit gives us fruit, verse 22. It's spiritual fruit, but it demonstrates in our life that we're growing. It demonstrates that we've developed. It's demonstrating that we trust Him more and that we're living by the Spirit. Now, you could spend a lot of time on each one of those. If you wanted to spend time in your home talking about one of those in particular, you could do that. You could spend as much or as little time on those ideas as you want. But I just want you to see very clearly, this is you just reading through the text, answering that simple question about God. Now, here's the second question. What can I learn about man? There's a few more things here. This is right out of the text, right? Verse 16, we learn about man. We should walk by the Spirit. We should be walking by the Spirit. That's one thing we ought to be doing. We should not gratify the desires of the flesh. Desires of the flesh keep us from doing what we want. We're not under the law, and we should live by the Spirit. All those come from me just looking at the text, reading through the verses, answering this very simple question. 
And so we kind of get already as we read this, if you read through it a couple times and you're, you're already thinking, you've already noticed spirit is used a lot, flesh is used a lot. And so we kind of see this, this, this contrast uh, between the spirit, the work of the spirit, and the work of the flesh in our lives. And so the, the bulk of this text really is about that problem. There are things we can learn about God. There are things we can learn about man. But what we can really learn in this text is about sin, which is the flesh, and about obedience in the spirit. And so questions three and four, we're really going to kind of think through and, and really focus on and spend a lot more time in. So look at verse 19, if you would, for me, please. So we've learned a few things about God. We've learned a few things about man. Now look at verse 19. We're going to get pretty heavy into this idea of sin. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. And by the way, uh, the flesh is very simply talking about uh, our sin nature, kind of how the world will lead us, things that are opposite of the Lord. So the works of the flesh, the works of sin are evident. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So question number three, now there's a lot. Pull question number three up for me. What can I learn about sin, right? Or is there a specific sin I'm supposed to avoid? What can I learn about it? Question number three, pull that up with the list underneath it. Because as we get into this idea of sin, there's a lot of things here that we can't avoid. And so you can just kind of think through this. If I'm, if I'm having this discussion with my family or I'm having this discussion with, with a, a group at church, like a Bible study or at work or in a college dorm or whatever that looks like, you can see now there's a lot of things we can learn about sin. There's a lot of sin that we should avoid. Now, I could probably preach a sermon on every one of those. Like we, we could spend weeks and weeks on Galatians 5 here. We could preach a week on every one of these and then a week on every one of the, the fruits of the Spirit and, and spend probably 25 or 30 weeks. And how the Lord leads you in your discussion at home or wherever is kind of between you and the Lord. But one of the things you ought to be doing as you're thinking through this, and I've kind of challenged you to do this, is just be aware of what this looks like in your life as you're being challenged. Right, so, so if you're leading a, a men's group, guys, and I know there are men's groups that take place in our, in our church here and meeting in homes. Man, if you're leading a men's group, maybe that very first thing is what you spend a lot of time thinking about, sexual immorality. Right, because, guys, if, if we're being honest, that's just all over in the world, isn't it? I mean, it really doesn't matter where you look, whether you're watching a movie or a television show or, of course, anywhere on the Internet. It's very prevalent. And if you're not actively fighting against that, you get drawn into it, right? We understand, man. We, we know the challenge. And so maybe we need to be thinking more about that, the idea of impurity. Like, well, what, what are we doing in our lives to guard against that? Like, how are we stopping that from happening? Right, I think about these, these young kids, especially like dads, if, if you've got younger children or, or maybe you're leading a Bible study with, with younger men or you've got an opportunity on some level to pour into some young man, you need to be talking about this stuff with them. Because guys, I mean, if you're my age and I'm, I'm late 40s now, I grew up in a world without a cell phone, without internet, the access to these types of things was very, very difficult. But our young men now have phones and computers, and the access is literally one click away. And so we need to be thinking about these things. 
We need to be teaching about these things. We need to be aware of these things. And so maybe you spent a lot of time thinking about that. But I've encouraged you as you kind of walk through this and you, and you study it, if you're leading this, you can certainly answer these questions and spend a lot of discussion without any real prep work. But I've encouraged you each week, if you're going to do this, to pick just one thing. Pick one thing you really want to focus on. Pick one thing you really want to think about. Pick one thing that you really want to kind of massage or work through into your discussion. And I just challenge you, spend a little time in prep work reading about it. Now, I gave you some simple resources last week. I'm going to put them on the screen real quick. You can just pull up that resource list just because I want you to see it. You can use these simple resources to dig a little bit more if you want to kind of go a little bit deeper into this idea. A, a simple Bible study, like a study Bible. ESV study Bible. A study Bible just means it's got the Bible and down in the bottom or in the margins is a little commentary. That's all that means. So you can read the verse in the text and then you can go down to the bottom and read the little commentary. There's all kinds of study Bibles you can choose from. They're available all over the place. There's websites you can use. I went into some detail about those last week. Those are just a few. There's obviously hundreds and hundreds that you could use that are great. And you say, look, I don't have a study Bible. I don't have access to the internet. You can borrow some of my books. I'm happy to let you borrow books. I got a lot of them. If you want to read a commentary, you want to borrow a study Bible or, or some type of resource and you don't have it, call me. I'm happy to let you use it. Right, just spend a little time. It's been 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, one afternoon or in the morning or whatever, and just delve into kind of one idea. Okay, pull that question back up, if you would, that had those main ideas. Question number three. The one I want to think about this morning, because I think it's very prevalent in so many different parts of our lives, is idolatry. And so I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes, right? We've already modeled for you how you can just take this text, read these questions, answer them, and the discussion that will be generated by that is pretty incredible. But I want to think a little bit about idolatry because if, if I were going to do this, and we did this with our family, I would want to think about idolatry because I feel like that's something that everybody struggles with. We think about idols, and oftentimes we think about these carved images, don't we? Like some guy's got a piece of wood, and he carves out this false god, or he chips it out of stone, or whatever. We think about the, the, the incident in Exodus chapter 32. Remember when Moses had gone up on the mountain, and he was up there for a little while, and the Bible says that the people saw that he was delayed, and so they went to Aaron. This is Exodus 32, beginning in verse 1. And they said to Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. And Aaron should have said, man, you're crazy. We're not, we're not making gods. I mean, he's already led us out of Egypt. He's already parted the sea. He's already shown us the pillar of fire and a cloud, and he's led us to this point. He's provided for us with manna. He's leading us to the promised land. Instead, Aaron wasn't the leader he should have been. He said, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters. Bring them to me. So they took off the gold rings that were in their ears, brought them to Aaron. He received the gold from their hand, fashioned it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf, and they worshiped it, right? And oftentimes when we think about idols and idolatry, we think about that sort of stuff. And that's easy for us to kind of set aside. I'm not going to worship a golden calf. It's stupid. Like I'm not going to worship some little idol that somebody carved. And by the way, you go into parts of South Asia and, and, and we can tell you stories if you want. You go into homes there and they've got those little idols. <laughs> they got them all over the streets. 
And there are people in the world that still do this, right? But in America, at least in the Western world, we don't, we don't worship the idols. That, that sounds kind of silly to us. But let me just kind of remind you that an idol is anything that's more important to you than God. It's probably not a silly little carved image anymore, but it might be something else in your life. And so I just thought through this a little bit, and I've listed, I'm going to give you four, this is just for you to think through, possible modern idols. Pull that up if you would, please. This is just kind of for you to think about, maybe for you to be challenged a little bit in your faith, but as we kind of laugh about the idea of of carved images and golden calves, none of us probably would worship those types of things, but there are modern idols that we need to be aware of that according to scripture are sinful. And so as we think about the sword method, what can I learn about sin? These are things that need to be avoided. Now there are four things I listed. By the way, this isn't an exhaustive list. But I think in the world we live in, identity and how we feel about ourselves oftentimes becomes an idol for a lot of people. Now, if you're a little bit older, what I'm about to say may not mean a whole lot to you, but if you're millennial, you know, if you're under the age of about 35, social media followers and social media likes matter to you. I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying, are those things more important to you than the favor of the Lord? Like, would you rather more people like your post or the Lord be pleased with your actions? If you're a little bit older, then social media may not be a big deal to you, but maybe your appearance matters to you more than it should. Maybe your level of education has become kind of an idol to you. Maybe your appearance or or your clothing have become idols to you. And so here here are a couple of questions that I'm going to challenge you with. Do you spend more time thinking or working on your physical self or your spiritual self? Now, physical self is good, and, and listen, I'm, I'm the first to admit to you, I need, I need to work a little bit more on my physical self. The 19 and COVID-19 was pounds for me. That's kind of where I am. And I know we've all kind of said, man, I, I ate a little bit more than I should have. I got to get back in the gym. That's good. We need to be healthy. I'm not, I'm not saying that's wrong. But if your entire life is driven by the physical and very little of the spiritual, maybe that's become an idol for you. I'm just challenging you a little bit. Asking you to think through this. Do you spend more money on your clothing or in helping people in need? Do you find more joy in the likes you receive in social media or in your daily quiet time with the Lord? That's a good question. What are we doing in our lives? How are we living for Christ? Are the things of this world becoming modern idols for us? The second one, material possessions, kind of goes without saying, doesn't it? And we, we understand that money, houses, cars, all those things are nice, but they can very quickly become idols if we're not very careful. Those things become more important to us than the things of the Lord. Comfort, pleasure, entertainment. I feel like we live in a culture where we crave this entertainment. We crave enjoyment and pleasure and comfort, and oftentimes we make decisions based on those things instead of what the Lord calls us to do. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had in my life with people that have felt a calling by the Lord to do something, but they're afraid to do it for one reason or the other. Like, are we making decisions for Christ based on our comfort or based on our obedience? Because God may call you to do something uncomfortable. God may call you out of your comfort zone. It, It may not be pleasurable. It may not be about entertainment. Have we put those things over the things of the Lord? 
Like it's, I'll just kind of let you into my world. In the evenings when I veg out, sometimes it's very easy to go to YouTube or some other site and just read. It's very easy for me just to waste a lot of time. And I joke with Amy, I wasted an hour of my life last night watching videos about whatever. We've probably all been there. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do those things. I'm just saying, do I choose personally in those moments to be entertained more so than to try to focus on what the Lord would have me to do? Like, am I spending more time on YouTube or in God's Word? If I'm spending a lot more time on YouTube than God's Word, then maybe that's become an idol for me. And, and the fourth one is pretty self-explanatory, phones. Right? We, we, we understand. There, there's so many things we can do on our phones. It's probably the greatest blessing and maybe the greatest curse in the history of inventions. Because <laughs> it can be used for a lot of good things and it can be used for a lot of bad things. But the point is, we need to be aware. If we're thinking about sin in our life, we've thought about God, man, sin. Idolatry is a sin for us. And, and I just worry in our world, in our culture, we, we've become so surrounded by those things and so lured in by those things, we don't often realize that they're idols. And we need to open our eyes to what that really looks like. Now, let's kind of finish this thing up. Question number four, what am I supposed to obey, right? God, man, sin, we've seen very clearly, verse 19 and following. What am I supposed to obey? Look at verse 22. Let's pull those verses up. These will be familiar to you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law, right? So Paul gives us this beautiful, very clear picture of how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do, commands we're supposed to obey. And so there's this long list, right, in verse 22. There's a list in verse 23 of things we ought to be doing. Now, if I were going to pick one, go on to show verse 23 just very quickly, if you would. Now, go back to 22. If I were going to pick one of these things and just kind of hone in on it, and there's a lot of things we could say about a lot of these, but I think if I were just going to pick one, it would be love. Like, if we could just say as believers, man, I'm just going to live by loving other people. Imagine how our world would change. I, I looked it up. Love is one of the most frequently used words in Paul's vocabulary, right? He uses the noun, love, 75 times, and the verb, to show love, 34 times just in his writings in the New Testament. It's almost 100 times he speaks about the importance of love. One writer said this, it's significant that love heads the list of these nine graces of the Christian life. Paul might well have placed a period after love and moved on to the conclusion of his letter, for love is not merely first among equals in this listing, but rather the source and fountain from which all other graces flow. I think that's right. Just, just imagine how the last many months with all the turmoil in our country would be different if we simply loved each other if we simply figured out how we could apply that to our life. And by the way, just to be clear, this doesn't tell us to love people that are just like us. It doesn't tell us to love people that think like us or act like us or speak our language. We're to love all people. That means we love people that are very different than we are. We love people that look different than we do, that think different than we do, that act different. We even love people that don't treat us the way we think we ought to be treated, right? How do we figure that out? Because that's what Christ did for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? He demonstrated his love for us. 
And so if we're going to live out the fruit of the Spirit, if we're going to think about what obedience looks like, man, we could talk about all these. Just by the way, imagine the discussion you could generate in your home with these things. Imagine the discussion you could generate at work. Imagine the discussion you could generate in your neighborhood with a Bible study, love, joy, peace. Are we living these things out? How are we demonstrating these things to the Lord, for the Lord, for his glory? Now, question number five, very simply, what's the main idea? Very simply, we should live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. If you want to summarize this whole passage of Scripture, man, if you want to walk away with one idea, let's live by the Spirit, let's not live by the flesh. And so you've seen now a real simple model. I've just kind of worked through this with you. I've gone through every question. I've gone through the scriptures and pointed out to you the things you can learn about God, man, sin, obedience, the main idea. We've applied it as we've gone. You've now been modeled. It's been modeled for you a very simple way you can lead a Bible study. And so in theory now, you ought to be able to go home. And I think the house is a great place to practice this, whether it's with your spouse or your children, or if you're single, maybe a couple other people you invite over one evening for dinner. I think it's a great opportunity for you to practice it and model it and figure out how to make it work. And so in order to give you the opportunity to do that, I've given you homework the last couple of weeks. I'm going to do it again this week. So pull the passage of Scripture up. Now I'm going to go ahead and warn you on this. If you don't know this passage of Scripture, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, this is about marriage. Real clear. When I do premarital counseling, I've said this before, I always start here. I think it is one of, if not the clearest passage of Scripture that speaks about marriage. It speaks about the role of the husband, the role of the wife. And so you go home, you answer the questions in this model with your spouse and with your children. Now, look, go ahead and prepare yourself. Put your big boy pants on for this. You ready? Because you need to go home and you need to ask your spouse, honey, am I doing these things? Children, are you witnessing me doing these things? Because, listen, your kids are going to be honest with you, right? Your kids are going to tell you the truth, good, bad, and ugly. And so you need to kind of be prepared. If you're going to walk through this with your spouse, if you're going to walk through, if you're a single, this gives you a picture of what it ought to look like one day. Like if you're in college and you're thinking about marriage one day, what a great opportunity for you now to set in place the standards by which you're going to live when you get married. Go ahead and build that into your DNA. Make that a foundation of who you are. This is who I want to be when I'm married. This is the man or the woman I'm looking for, the person that's going to fulfill this role in my life. But go home, read this text, answer these questions. Next week, we're going to walk through it together. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for, for the clarity of these questions. Uh, we thank you for the way, Lord, that we can be challenged. We thank you for the way in which we can now walk through a Bible study, Lord, without a whole lot of prep, but lead people, Father, be challenged in our faith, be challenged in our understanding. So allow us now to go with this motto. We've seen it now for a few weeks. It's becoming a little clearer to us, a little more obvious to us. Help us to take this model into our homes, into the world, wherever you lead us. Use it for the sake of your kingdom. We'll give you the praise, honor, and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.